Chapter 54. Slank's plan. Port, Slank said. No, port is left, Idjit. That way. Little Richard, who, despite years at sea, could never get the port starboard thing straight in his mind, corrected course. The huge man was rowing the dory, with Slank in the stern. They were towing Mr. Er, Blackstash's longboat, in which sat the battered wooden trunk. Little Richard, at Slank's order, had carried the trunk from the cave. He'd been reluctant at first, fearful of following the she-fish, and in severe pain from the two gaping wound bites, or bite wounds they had inflicted. But when he touched the trunk, his mood changed, almost instantly. A feeling of warmth, of well-being, of joy flooded his battered body. And there was more. Do you hear that? He said to Slank. He slung the trunk. Felt almost weightless onto his shoulder. Hear what? Asked Slank. Bells, said Little Richard. You don't hear them? No, said Slank, eyeing Little Richard sharply. But as they trudged out of the cave, Little Richard, still hearing the bells when they reached the mouth, had noticed something else. The pain from his wounds was gone. He looked down at his forearm and grunted in surprise. What? said Slank. Look! pointing to his arm. Or Little Richard pointing to his arm. Um, Slank looked. The wound was gone. Where minutes ago there had been mangled flesh and oozing blood, there was only unbroken skin. My leg, too! said Little Richard, feeling the back of his thigh. Put down the trunk, said Slank sharply. But... Put it down now. Little Richard had trudged to the beach and set the trunk out on the sand. As he released it, the sound of bells faded, died. He reached his hand back toward it. Leave it alone, said Slank. Reluctantly, Little Richard withdrew his hand. I'll stay here with the trunk. You go get the boats. Row the dory back here and tow the pirate's longboat with you. Why don't we just carry the trunk onto the boats? I don't mind carrying it. Because I don't want you touching it, thought Slank. But he said, or all he said was, get them boats now. When Little Richard returned with the boats, Slank loaded the trunk into the trailer or trailing longboat, then climbed into the dory and ordered Little Richard to row them to the pirate ship. Slank was feeling very, very good about the way things had worked out. First, the most important, he had the trunk. He had the trunk. He also had the longboat, which meant Blackstash was now marooned on the island. Slank smiled. The fool pirate. He never really knew what he was after, nor who he was up against. Slank's plan now was to return the pirate ship and have Little Richard toss tossed most of the tied-up crew overboard, keeping just enough men. He'd need only two or three to sail the ship at Pistol Point. Um, and then, and when he got where he was going, he'd rid of those as well. And of course, the idiot little Richard knew too much now. Yes, things were looking very, very good, Slank thought. Even the night was pleasant. The sun was down now, and the full moon had risen. It hung low over the lagoon, looking impossibly large at the cloudless sky as though it had drawn closer to earth to get a better look at this strange island. The light shining from it was bright enough to cast shadows, bright enough that Slank could see into the deserted beach, and the palm trees beyond, and the dark mass of mountains. It was bright enough that, if Slank had been looking at the water behind the longboat, he would have seen something else, a trail of bubbles following them, getting closer and closer. Chapter 55. A Close Call "'Hang on!' shouted Peter." I'm scared, whispered Prentice, looking down as they soared over the wall. I don't want to fall. You won't fall, said Peter. You're flying. And they were, all of them. Molly was first, followed by Peter, who was holding the hand of Prentice, who was holding the hand of James, who was holding the hand of Thomas, who was holding the hand of Tubby Ted, who was holding the huge hand of Alf, who hated heights and had his eyes tight shut. Moments earlier, after Mr. Green had floated out of the cage, Peter urged on by the hovering Molly, who had each of the others touched the glowing sphere in his hand. Then he'd snapped the locket shut and ordered them all to hold hands as they began to rise. Peter, the only boy with flying experience, followed Molly, gently towing the others over the wall. As they cleared it, 
He looked down nervously, concerned that the mollusks would appear, I'm sorry, would use their spears to bring them down. But the surprise appearance of the flying Mr. Green had plunged, plunged the tribe into disarray. The only remaining, only one remaining by the wall was the old man, fighting prawn. He stood still, watching expressionless as Molly, then Peter, and the others floated into view in the new, now moonlit sky. Peter's eyes met the old man's. I told you, he called down, there's magic. Um, fighting prawn said nothing, only stared back at Peter. Their eyes remained locked for a moment. Then Peter's attention was drawn away by Molly's shout. Peter, she said, we must get back to the beach before it wears off. This way. She turned and swooped low over the dark jungle. All right, Peter said to Alf and the boys, we're going to follow Molly. You need to lean forward like this. He leaned and pulled on the others increased. Not me, said Tubby Ted, looking down nervously. I ain't leaning. Alf likewise remained rigidly vertical, petrified with fear. Prentice and Thomas were still too stunned to respond. But James, good old James, was leaning. With his help, Peter was off, or able to get the little hand-holding hand clot moving, slowly at first, and then picking up speed across the clearing and then over treetops. Peter's eyes probed ahead over the moon, moonlit trees, trying to make out Molly's distant, swooping form. Thus absorbed, Peter didn't notice that, as they left the clearing, they passed directly over Black Stash and his pirate crew. He didn't see Stash raise a pistol and aim it straight at Peter's heart. It would have been an easy shot, and Stash came this close to pulling the trigger. But as much as he wanted to kill the boy, he wanted even more, having seen its power, to find the trunk, and he was sure the boy would lead it to him. Only a few yards away, Fighting Prawn was thinking precisely the same thing. Chapter 56. Capsized. The first time the dory lurched, Slank assumed it was a wave, although if he'd looked around, he'd seen the lagoon was dead calm now. Its smooth surface turned silver by the brilliant moon rising in the east. But Slank wasn't paying attention to the water. His eyes were locked on the trunk, resting in the longboat, being towed by the dory. The next time the dory lurched, Slank blamed Little Richard's rowing. Stop that, Slank complained. If you stopped shifting your weight, sir, we'd make smart time to the ship. I ain't shifting nothing, said Slank. It's your... But before he could finish, the longboat rocked violently, taking, or taking on water as the trunk slid to the side. Alarmed, Slank lurched to his feet, nearly swamping the dory. He would have gone overboard if Little Richard hadn't turned and grabbed him. Slank lunged for the line and tried to pull the longboat and the trunk toward him, but it didn't move. Give me a hand here, he shouted to Little Richard. The big man slid next to Slank and leaned over the transom of the dory, which, because of the weight of his two men, was now nearly submerged. The man jerked back suddenly as the hideous gaping mouth of razor-sharp razor teeth shot, hissing from the water. It's them mermaids, shouted Little Richard, as he and Slank tumbled backward on the bouncing dory. The creature came down hard, her teeth sinking into the transom. She twisted her head viciously and tore off a half-moon-shaped piece of wood, leaving a jagged half-moon-shaped piece, piece space through which water began to spill. As she disappeared, another she-fish attacked the starboard, and then another to port, the two rocking the boats in a deadly game of seesaw. Slank rose, trying to scramble away from the she-fish closest to him, only to be smacked hard by, er, from behind by the powerful tail of another propelling him over the side. His yell for help cut off when he plunged beneath the surface of the lagoon. Slank's sudden departure left the dory unbalanced, and before little Richard could correct it, the she-fish capsized the boat, dumping the big man into the lagoon as well. The two men thrashed to the surface, struggling to stay afloat. In their heavy clothes, weighed down by swords and pistols, that they quickly jetsoned and let sink to the bottom. The water boiled ominously around them. Little Richard screamed as he was bitten on the right leg, then the left. Slank, paddling furiously, managed to get to the longboat. As he grabbed the gunwale, 
He felt the searing pain of teeth sinking into his thigh. He let go of the boat to strike the attacker, and as he did, the long boat went over, and the trunk tumbled into the lagoon, where it floated. Slang lunged for it, but missed. It was moving. Sitting atop the water surface, barely an inch of it submerged. The trunk turned left, paused, then turned right. Finally moved off briskly toward the island, leaving a V of ripples, like a, a long, fading arrow in the silver lagoon. In the middle of the V rose parallel lines of bubbles. Little Richard sputtered to the surface, bleeding and cursing. Here, called Slank, and Little Richard paddled over. They clung to the longboat, which was lying holed up in the water. Slank lifted his head and squinted across the lagoon. The watery arrow led by slowly shrink the slowly shrinking trunk was headed back in the direction it came from, back toward the she-fish cave. You think you've won, don't you? muttered Slank. We'll see about that, ladies. What are we going to do? said Little Richard. In answer, Slank pulled out his locket, then said, how are you with heights? Chapter 57. An Old Friend. Peter and the others just made it to the beach. Um, the star stuff began wearing off while they were still over the jungle. For a few moments, Peter thought they would be plunged into the thick, dark vegetation underlying the moonlit tree canopy. He didn't relish the thought of being lost in there at night. But with James's help, Peter was able to drag the little hand-holding group of the reluctant flyers into one last swoop and soar, and this time, as they reached the apex of their upward curve, he heard Molly just ahead, shouting and pointing, and then saw, to his relief, the white of the beach, looking like snow under the startlingly blue, bright moon. Hang on, we're coming down over there. They just cleared the set of palms, in fact, Alf's feet brushed the highest one, sending a coconut thudding to the sand. Then they crash-landed onto the beach, tumbling and rolling a few yards from where Mo Molly was waiting. They were at the edge of a sandy cove, bound on either side of the steep, rocky hillside. For a moment, Alf, James, Prentice, Thomas, and Tubby Ted stood speechless, brushing off sand and absorbing their disbelief, disbelief at their flight, and relief at being on the ground again. Then the question started. "'How did we do that?' asked Prentice. "'How could we—I mean—' "'And the crocodile,' interrupted Thomas. "'How did—I'm hungry,' said Tubby Ted. "'Is there any—' "'And that thing,' said James. "'The thing we touched, and what was that? "'It felt so—it was the magic from the trunk, wasn't it, lad, Alf? "'You must have—can we fly again?' said James. "'Yes,' said Prentice and Thomas simultaneously. "'We want to.' "'All right, all right,' said Peter. "'I'll try to explain, but it's, uh, it's a bit strange. "'But first I have to, uh, listen, just wait here a minute.' "'Peter walked to, to Molly, or to where Molly was standing, watching him, "'her expression blank as he approached. "'You came back,' he said, to rescue me.' He blushed. I mean, us. Yes, she said. Thank you, he said. Molly didn't answer. But you said you couldn't. You said you had to get the trunk. You said that was the most important thing. It is, and I should have left you. Now I don't know how much star stuff I have left in the locket. And it's night, and the pirates on the, on the island, and I fear they already have the trunk. It's been moving, Peter. I've felt it. Somebody has found it, and whoever it is won't want us to have it. And those, and now those natives will be after us, and the crocodile's loose somewhere. And I'm just, I'm afraid it's hopeless. Peter saw she was crying. He wanted to hug her, but he couldn't. Not with Alf and the other boys watching. He settled for patting her shoulder. It'll be all right, he said. We'll find the trunk. Um, Molly forced a smile. I appreciate that, Peter. I know you want to help, but at this point, I honestly don't know what to do. You say you can feel the trunk, said Peter. Yes. Do you know what direction it is? No, only that it's moving. Well, if it is moving, then somebody's moving it. Perhaps we'll be able to see it. In the morning, we'll climb that mountain again and have a look. I suppose that's a good plan as any. In the meanwhile, said Peter, we need to get some sleep, if we can. We can set up a watch in case somebody comes along. 
or that thing. He shuddered about thinking about Mr. Grin. All right, said Molly, her spirits picking up a bit, now that they had a plan. And I should give you this back, said Peter, reaching for the locket around his neck. You might... Do you hear... Did you hear that? said Molly, her hand on Peter's arm. What? I didn't... Shh, hissed Molly. Her head... Her... She cocked her head, listening, then smiled. It's him, she tossed... Or she said, tossing the words back over her shoulder, as she was already running toward the water. Who? said Peter, running to catch her. But her attention was focused ahead, and the sounds she was making were not intended for him. And then Peter saw a familiar shape, a blunt and grinning snout, sticking up from the moonlit wavelets, perhaps ten yards offshore, clicking and chittering in return. Am! Peter shouted. 